You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Be seated. Well, good morning. It's really good to see everybody this morning. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. It's in God's providence that we find ourselves in these few verses this morning on Father's Day. I'd love to be able to tell you, months ago I I planned this. Um, I actually realized it about three or four weeks ago. I was like, well, Father's Day is going to fit really well. And so it will. So happy Father's Day to all of you dads. And so our scripture this morning will be Ephesians, Ephesians 6. 1 through 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what a great privilege it is to come this morning. We've gathered this morning in your name, and it's our hope and prayer that you are glorified. Lord, I don't don't know every story that's here. I, I don't know what people have going on, either good or bad or a lot in the middle. But Father, you do. You've brought us here on this day, um, in this scripture, on a day that culturally we set aside to celebrate fathers, which in and of itself can bring a myriad of different emotions and feelings, depending on our own personal experiences with fathers. And so, Lord, I pray that you would minister to your people this morning. Pray that your Holy Spirit, through the teaching of your word and through the singing of your truth, to administer to our hearts, Lord, that faith would be strengthened. And Father, if there is one here who doesn't have faith in you, who hasn't trusted you either in this room or in the room to my left where the kids are, Lord, would you grant the gift of salvation today? Would you open their eyes to the truth of the gospel? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was accused after last Sunday for pawning the hard sermons off on our senior elder. I have no comment to that, but I mean, I, I would like for y'all to see that not as much as fear as, as humility. I'm not sure you can promote yourself and say humility in the same sentence, but, but uh, he's been doing this longer than me, right? D- Dolan's wedding ring is nearly as old as I am. And so... I appreciate him being willing to to tackle that text in a way that was honoring to the Lord, and I I hope it was encouraging to your hearts as it was to mine as I did listen later. But essentially what we saw in the middle part of Ephesians 5, or, or the last part of Ephesians 5, is that marriage has an ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose of marriage transcends any earthly purpose that we could come up with. Now, that doesn't mean all the earthly purposes are bad. There's very practical purposes to marriage. But ultimately, marriage has 
a greater purpose. Marriage, every marriage, whether we realize it or not, is, is a small story. It's a small parable telling a greater story. Ultimately, marriage is to be a pointer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I, I say this to you often. If you've been in our church a while, you know that I, I try to be transparent, sometimes to my default. Um, but I don't want you to think too highly of me. I, I, I genuinely don't. I'm, I'm a normal person that just has a different gift than you do. And that's why I'm standing up here and you're not. We, we both have the same need of salvation. And we both have the same need daily for the grace of God. And there's nothing more than being a husband or being a daddy that has exposed my selfishness and my pride more. Two of the greatest sanctifying tools in my life have come as a husband and as a father. And so, I, again, I don't say this to say that I have it all figured out, but I do know what Scripture teaches, and I believe that every marriage is pointing to a greater story and is meant to tell a greater story. Now, um, today Paul's going to transition to the children. And, and I want to give a disclaimer because I, I vividly remember about 10 years ago in the last church that I pastored, I preached. We were preaching through Genesis, and we got to the story of, of Lot and his family and Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but there, there's one phrase in there that uh, in, in the NIV translates it, that Lot pitched his tent too close to Sodom. Essentially, Lot lived too close to Sodom, and, and, the, and the moral of that story is that Lot could handle it. Lot survived. His kids and his wife didn't. And after I preached that, ju just as, as straight from the text, as we do every, every Sunday morning here, uh, th there are some very challenging and convicting things when you start to talk about what it means to be a godly parent and a godly spouse. Because each one of us has been raised in some form or fashion, and, and there's a myriad of different ways, and each one of us has experienced personally something as it relates to marriage and parents. We either have parents or we are currently parenting. And we mess up. I mean, we fail. We've been failed. We've failed as kids. We've failed as husbands and we've failed as wives. And, and, and for some of us, those decisions that, that we know that we've made have changed the trajectory of other people's lives, other people that we love dearly. And so I, I'm fully aware and I understand the emotions and the things that can come up in us when we start to talk about these close relationships. Because after I preached that sermon, that I'm, I'm not kidding you, like my inbox has never been so full with emails. Some people furious at me, some people just broken some people in the middle, some people saying thank you. Like you just got like just this smorgasbord of responses based on everyone's own personal experience with marriage and with family and particularly with, with parenting. And so I, I'm, I'm going to say some things today that might do that to you. They did to me. And so our, our hope here ultimately... And, and if you don't hear anything else, moms and dads and children, our, our hope ultimately is not that we are the best husband or wife or mother or father that there can be. Your job, if you are a parent or you are a spouse, is not to climb this ladder of righteousness so that you can be saved and your kids can be saved. 
our ultimate job as a spouse or as a parent is to point one another and to point our children to the only one who can save. And that's Jesus Christ. You're not supposed to be the Savior. I'm not supposed to be the Savior. Your kids aren't supposed to be worshipped. We aren't supposed to be worshipped. Your spouse isn't supposed to be worshipped. And you are not supposed to be worshipped as a spouse. Spouses and children and families are a wonderful gift from God and a part of His design. But they are horrible gods and will fail you every single time in the ultimate sense. So, there's the disclaimer. I would love to have dialogue, but don't leave here mad. Or if you do leave here mad, just be sure that you, you reach out. And if there's something I say that I, I need to come back and correct, I, you know that I will do that, and I will gladly do that. But I wanted to be clear that, that there's going to be some touchy subjects here this morning. So, so the question today in this section is, is what about the children? Particularly, what about the children that come from the union of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman that he spoke about in, at the end of Ephesians 5. What does it mean to be a parent? Well, first off, I think the fact that Paul mentions children in such an important letter demonstrates the value that the early church placed on children. It, this may seem just super obvious to you because it is super obvious, but he doesn't say... Moms and dads, tell your children this. That's not what he says. He says children, which would have to imply that who was present? The children. And so as the believers gathered together, there were families together. In our 11 o'clock service, if you want a little taste of that, I'm not sure if you do, but that's what it looks like. There'll be six-month-old humans. There'll be six-year-old humans there'll be three-year-olds some of them might run across here some of them might get in a fight some of them may go to the bathroom 20 times some of them may be crying for a donut hole some of them may want to raid the father's day table but that's what it looks like but paul in this very important letter and theologically his most mature letter paul is old at this point and so he addresses the children one thing that Dolan Davis has said for years is that the children aren't the future of the church. They're part of the church. They are the church today. And so the early church had a high regard for children. In fact, the Lord himself has a high regard for children. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus who... They did not have a very high regard for children at this point, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's how Jesus responds to this question. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Old Testament also reflected a high regard of children. Psalm 127 is one we'll reference earlier if you want to jot that down. In Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 7, there's instruction there for parents to teach their children the word of the Lord when they rise up, when they walk throughout the day, and when they lay down at the end of the day. Children were valued. But what's interesting is in this culture, it was the early church, it was the Christians who had the highest regard 
for children. John Stott and his commentary on Ephesians said this. Now, now this is probably PG, okay? It was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in Ephesus, in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones were killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a partial nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated, easy divorce. It's countercultural to what the early church believed about children. And, I, and I'm not really, y'all know I don't get political and I'm not about to jump up on any soapbox right now, but I think culturally what's going on around us is something very, very, very similar. But it's not just here. It's, it's not new. In Ephesus and the Roman Empire, like throughout human history, when the morals shrink in any culture or society, their view of children, their view of marriage, their view of sexuality diminishes. It just sort of comes with the territory but it was the Christians in the early church. I mean, in, in the first century, which was the early church, that had a high regard for children. So the church has always joyfully celebrated the birth of children, primarily because we understand the creation of life is the work of God. Now, not only does the church celebrate children, but, but if you want just an overall point of this text today, and I'm going to get to it in just a second, I promise. If you want to jot this down... Children are learning basic Christian living by watching and listening to their parents. Like, primarily, Christian discipleship is primarily meant to be carried out first in the family. It's, it's a, a Christian mom and a Christian dad. And again, look, I know everybody doesn't have this. I didn't have this growing up. Like, so again, remember the disclaimer but Christian mom, Christian dad, they come together in, in the covenant of marriage. Children come from that. If the Lord wills, it's the Lord that opened and closes wombs. Children come from that. And the primary place that disciple making is to happen is within the home. And to come from the mom and from the dad. And so Paul has been addressing all Christians in the church at Ephesus. And, and many of those, obviously, like this morning, were Christians. And the primary place they were to promote and to live out what they saw, what, what they just read in chapters 1 through 3, which is basically salvation, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. It's the gospel. The primary place that was to be lived out and promoted was in the home. It's true that children are observing. Parents, this is for us. Children are observing our own relationships to the Lord. They watch us and see how we pray. They see how often we may open his word. They see how we approach worship. Our children, like if you really want to know if I am amazed by the grace of God and I am actually authentically excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to go ask my kids. My kids know what excites me the most. They, they know what angers me the most. They know what things we're holding on to closely. 
Our kids have a front row seat. Children are observing how their parents value the local church. Children are watching how we as parents are speaking the truth lovingly. They're, children are watching to see what kind of people we are as it relates to in integrity or trustworthiness or generosity. Children know if we're encouraging others properly. Children know if we are putting away bitterness or if we're holding on and harboring to anger. You know why? Because they hear the conversations at the dinner table. When they're watching Paw Patrol, they're engaged. They know what's being said. They know, if, if you want to know who I really like, go ask my kids. Our kids know how serious we are about forgiveness and repentance. Our kids know whether we actually are sorry for what we do when we do it. And, and so the first picture of God that children receive is from their parents. They don't realize it. But children are getting a sense of authority, of love, of protection from their parents. And inevitably, what they see from their parents will point them to or away from their ultimate father. Now, that's not a statement that applies to every context. I have seen kids that have no business being strong followers of Jesus Christ because of their home life and what they've experienced and, and all that they've been through. But they'll walk into these doors and be the finest Christian young man or young woman that you've ever laid your eyes on and you're going... It's just the Lord. I've also seen kids raised in a home that I would say that like that's the home. If I could put my kids in a home other than mine, it would be this particular home. Come from homes like that and walk away from the Lord. And as far as we know, they may never look back. Again, it's not parenting isn't ultimate. Christ is. Parenting a certain way doesn't guarantee anything spiritual. But there is a way. There is a way that God has designed families to function. This one is a disclaimer in and of itself. I'm just going to say it, and, and, I, and I'll, if, if it causes problems in your heart, let's please talk later. But, but kids are forming their view of marriage based on their parents. And if you're young enough, if you're not married yet or you're newly married and God hasn't blessed you with children yet, fight to give them a compelling vision of marriage. Fight for your marriage and if you can, if you can, and, and, and not all can. And it's heartbreaking and it's heart-wrenching. But fight for your marriage as long as you can. If you've failed or you have been sinned against as a spouse or a parent, this doesn't necessarily make you bad. 
It means you need grace. Would any of us argue that we need grace? And we all need the same measure of grace. And praise be to God when we fail and we turn to the Lord. There is always grace. So parents glorify the Lord by instructing children in the ways of the Lord. Children glorify God by honoring and obeying their parents in the Lord. Now, there's another question that looms here. Everybody that's here and everybody that was gathered in Ephesus wasn't married, didn't plan to get married, wasn't married like yet. And even there were some married couples there that didn't have kids. So, so, so how does this factor in? Well, he doesn't say, hey, those of you who are single, those of you who are married without children, y'all can kind of check out. No, those of you that are single, those of you that are married and, and don't have kids yet or may never have children, it means that you can still be a part of actively promoting God's way. God's design to make disciples is in the home. God's design to populate the earth is through a man and a woman who have come together in the covenant of marriage. And, and y'all look at me, this is in rocket science. There's no other way. Everybody can't be single. Look, a single guy's writing this. Paul. And so he, he is going, hey, God has clearly designed this to make disciples and to populate the earth. He sees the value in it, and that's why he promotes it. And, and so we all together actively promote marriage, Christian marriage, and Christian parenting. And that is the fact that God's way is the only way. And that's not just preacher talk. Like That's, that's science, too. Like, like God's way is the only way to do what marriage is meant to do. Now, to the Scripture. Verses 1 and 2. Starts with children, addressing children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and, and your mother. How should children honor and obey their parents? You know, thinking back, this might have been a good opportunity to have like the clubhouse age kids in here with us. But y'all can pass this on to them. How can children honor and obey their parents? Well, one way to honor their parents is through a proper attitude. Now, keep your amens down. But if you've been around a child, whether you've raised one or not, you know that there are times whenever you ask them to do something and, and there's just this huff and there's this puff and there's this attitude and they drag their feet and they do it as slow as they can and they act like their body is just so heavy and they can't. I just can't do it. I can't pick it up. Dad, you're horrible. Like, I, I, I. yeah. Those aren't my kids. My kids don't Maybe y'all's kids, but not, certainly not Atchison kids. But children do not honor their parents when they huff and puff and pout and talk back. Children honor and obey their parents by hearing and doing what their parents say. Of course there are limits. Again, I don't want to have to keep saying these. Like, this is in a Christian home with Christian parents who have taken their role as mom and dad seriously and they're instructing their children in the Lord. That's when obedience is always necessary and right for children. So that's the context. All right, Colossians 3.20 says this. Children, obey your parents in everything, 
for this pleases the Lord. Now watch, this is really important. I know there aren't a ton of kids in here, but pass this along to your children because when I was a youth pastor and I still work with teenagers occasionally and hope to more in the future, like they'll be like, hey, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. Especially when they get like 13, 14, 15, they're like, man, am I going to be a this? Am I going to be a that? Like I'm so stressed out about what God's will is. I'm like, hey, look, let me tell you, like I know for sure what God's will is for you today. Obey your parents. They're like, what? No, I want something better than that like not no I mean like I want to be a missionary I'm like no no no. yeah I, I get it obey your parents you want to please the Lord obey your mom and dad so Paul says to the church at Colossae if, if children want to please the Lord they must obey their parents in everything now let's be real children will have a difficult time obeying their parents true true they might even go but why well kids i'm glad you asked paul provides some reasons first one is this and i love it i love it i love it it's the four words at the end of verse one for this is right it's right he doesn't give this long remember he's talking to the kids He's not giving the parents like this, you know, like, hey, you need to psychologically, no, 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 there's a place for that, but he's going, hey, look, children, all the children, obey your parents in the Lord, and here's why, in case you're wondering, it's right. It's the right thing. It might seem unnecessary to say that. That's a good answer. Like, that is a really good answer answer but here's why I think it matters for us as parents it's it's necessary for us to pause as parents and go hey 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 parents like our children should obey us in the Lord and if you ask well why in everything seriously why because it's right because there's a temptation for us to go look how cute she is she's just so bossy look at her she's just sassy little diva and just let her be her little, hey, you go, you, you know what I mean? Like, and just promoting, and, and I get it's cute, and again, I'm not trying to be super dogmatic here, but what I want us to know and understand as parents is that we really should require obedience. And don't be lazy. Because I don't think it's cute. I've never thought it was cute. But I am lazy. There are times when I'm like, I just, but we, I mean, I got six, y'all. I, but, so, but I'm just, I'm, again, I, that, that's not the point. The point is, the point is, is I, sometimes you just don't feel like dealing with it, right? You're just like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't want to fight this fight. Everybody just go to bed. But we need to be diligent and, and consistent and take our role as parents seriously. And if we go, well, why does it matter in every situation? And the answer is the same as it is for the kids. It's right. It's right. Don't let the fear of them hating you keep you from doing what is right. It's not cute. Don't be lazy. If they hate you, they'll get over it. It's right. Second reason Verses 2 through 3, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Second reason Paul gives for why it's important for our children to obey 
is a motivating promise of blessing and safety. Now, Paul combines Exodus 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16 here in this promise. Now, th this does not mean that by obedience to your parents, the child may never get sick or even tragically die. That, that, that's not what this promise is. As I understand it, this promise is basically saying that the child, when the child is disobedient, the child is endangering himself or herself physically and spiritually by dishonoring and disobeying their parents. You could think of situations right now to where your child obeyed you and it was best for their physical health. You can think of situations where your child disobeyed you if you have them and it was not good for their physical health. You can think of situations where your children disobeyed you or obeyed you and it, was, it, it put them in danger spiritually. That's the point. Like the point is, is that God has set a way for this thing to work. And it works best when there's a Christian mom and a Christian dad that have a desire to raise Christian children and they raise them up in the Lord and the children obey their parents because their parents are raising them in the Lord. And it, it's right for all the reasons we've already mentioned. And this is best for them. It doesn't, it's not like this, this template, like you check all these boxes and your kid's going to be like this immortal superhero. That's, that's not what it means. It means that their life will be better if they listen. Right? I mean, it's, it's, don't overthink this. This is just common sense stuff. But I also thought it was interesting to point out some of the context here because this contrasts with the old covenant so paul brings in part of the old covenant parenting rules but he leaves out some and i want to point out to you a couple that he leaves out deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 18 through 21 if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and though they discipline him will not listen to them then are right, y'all ready for this then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this is our stubborn, this son is our stubborn and rebellious. Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. The Lord was serious about the holiness and the purity of his community. And the Lord knows better than we know that a child that is stubborn and rebellious and after the consistent rebuke of his parents over time, again, this is the kind, it's not like they mess up one time. No, it's just over time, he knows that this society, no society is going to be able to function ultimately. No society is going to be able to continue over a long period of time if all the children in the society are stubborn and rebellious and won't listen. It's not going to work. If you have a bunch of humans coming up that don't care anything about authority and they want to do things their own way, how they want to do it, it's not going to work. The society doesn't flourish. Now, again, thankfully, this didn't carry over to the New Covenant. Proverbs. Somebody's using this one today, I guarantee you. Proverbs 30, 17. You got a kid that rolls their eyes at you? All right. 
the eye that mocks the father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Roll your eyes at me one more time. I contrast it for this reason. Under the old covenant, yeah, it, it's death. Hey, Kate, Sarah, Lily, Abby, Titus, Calvin, Abby, it's, it's better for your health, physical health, for you to listen. You remember Johnny? Yeah, his eyeballs by the raven? No, I, I, mean, I mean, we're joking, but I don't really know how else to approach this other than to emphasize the seriousness of obedience. Under the new covenant, we're not, there's not this kind of punishment. I mean, obviously that's, that's not the deal. But it still helps us see and understand the seriousness of obedience from children. And so the two reasons is because it's right and because it's better for you. The promise of blessing and safety that's physical and spiritual for the children that obey. Now, fathers. Fathers, I know what you're thinking. Oh, the women get a photo booth and a chocolate fountain and fruit and a big tent set up outside. We get a couple donuts and now you're about to punch us in the face. Verse 4 starts with addressing the fathers. He says, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I felt like Dolan did a good job last week of bringing out the role of the man and the role of the woman within the marriage. And now we understand it even more clearly as roles as it relate to family. The man has the leading responsibility. Not the only, but the leading responsibility in raising the children. And this is a natural continuation of the leading responsibility as it relates to the wife. What's ironic to me is that when I think of old school, what I saw from the men in my life as far back as I can remember. And I love them. I'm not being disrespectful. But they had a certain role with the children. But it wasn't a serious role with the children. If dad got involved, it was because, yeah, just asking for help. Well, that's not the biblical way. God doesn't make the husband the leader in the relationship to the wife and then make the wife the leader in relation to the children. Husbands bear, and I think this word's important, husbands bear the responsibility in both directions. And I personally believe that there are millions of children today that are confused and there are a host of personal and social problems that could be traced back to this confusion. Men aren't being men. Some are abusing their God-given role of authority. Some of you have experienced that. Of a dad or a husband that abused his role 
of authority. Some, some men, this is another extreme, they don't take it seriously at all. And this always causes problems and always causes confusion. What it means to be a biblical husband and a biblical father, it involves sacrifice, love, surrender, tenderness, compassion, and care for the people that are closest to you. That's what it means to be a man. Man. It's not about the size of your biceps or how much you can bench press. It's about the way that you lovingly surrender and care for your family. The first picture that our kids should see and the most consistent picture that our wives should see of the love that Jesus Christ has for his people is from the husband and from the daddy. Servanthood. Not rattling your glass in your recliner. It's not what it means to be the head of the home. What it means to be the head of the home is to lay your life down for the sake and the good of those around you. It's to look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. He warns specifically against provoking anger. And, and I think he does this because anger is so common. And, and so I, I want to close this, this time with, with, with saying what I don't think he means and what I do think he means. What I don't think he means is this. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I, actually it is, but I'm going to kind of build up to that point. The most common emotion of the sinful heart when it confronts authority is what? Anger. Get mad. Every single person in this room has felt that. Every single one of us has confronted authority in some form or fashion. And because that authority, and we felt that this authority, whoever it was, whatever, was over us. And they, we knew deep down they had the authority, or at least they thought they had the authority to tell us what to do. But you're not telling me what to do because I'm going to do what I want to do. And then there's, there's anger. And so a common emotion when there is st structures that involve authority, is a rebellion against that authority, and the way that shows itself is through anger. And so, and so it's common. And so I don't think he means this. I don't think he means that anytime you make your kid angry, you're in sin. Because it is the role of the parents and, and the father specifically to lead in this way to embody authority. Because apart from parents, the child embodies self-will. The child deep down thinks what's best for them is autonomy, self-existence. Let me be me. Let little Lane run around. He's going he's gonna to do his thing. Let your little one run around like they're going to do their thing and it's not going to be what's best for them. And as soon as you try to pick them up and set their little feet on the right path... I don't even want to know what your kid did, does. Mine, goodness gracious, I have horror stories of being in grocery stores and restaurants. And if there had just been Walmart pickup 20 years ago, <laughs> life would have been so much better. But when the two meet, the authority of the parent and the self-will of the child, anger flares. Two-year-olds throw tantrums, teenager slams the door, or worse. So there's plenty of anger with the best of parenting, and this is normal. 
So it's not that. It's not that you avoid anger at all costs. It's, it's unavoidable. You can't avoid anger if you're going to be the parent God's called you to be. What I think he does mean is provoking your child to anger because you aren't serious about your role, dads. He addresses the fathers. Or provoking your child to anger because you don't care about your God-given role in their life. Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Discouraged means lose heart. Discouraged means give up or disheartened. And there's not much that's more discouraging for a child and there's not much that can make them more angry than a father who doesn't take seriously or abuses their God-given role as a father. That's a sin. When we push our kids towards anger from things like taunting or being demeaning or neglecting or abusing, that's sinful. Sinful. I'm sure it means more than that. But we aren't to provoke our children to anger. But in contrast, we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, as I can understand it, biblical fatherhood is best demonstrated by instruction and discipline in the Lord. In a context of loving care that doesn't even sound easy does it because it's not it's not parenting takes work and we men we like to think we work hard and a lot of you do work really hard and you're hard workers and you take a lot of pride in your job and what you're able to accomplish like when I cut the grass I expect everybody single file line walk through and just make comments while I sit on the porch and and hear I, like, I know, like, like, we, I, like, I'm a man, so I understand what we're after and what we want. But, but the point is, is that whenever we don't take seriously our role as parents and we aren't strong in the things that matter, don't be a man with strong convictions about weak things. Be a man with strong convictions about strong things. Things that matter. If you don't think the discipline from the father and mother is important in instruction, Proverbs 19, 18. says, discipline your son, for there is hope. But listen to the implication when there's a lack of discipline. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Biblical fatherhood... It's best demonstrated by instruction and discipline that is through our words and that is certainly through our actions as well. Joseph, you can come back up, buddy. The good news this morning is not that we're supposed to be good dads and good moms and good husbands and good wives. 
The good news is this morning is that when we're not those things, they don't define us. Jesus came and died on the cross for sinful fathers, sinful mothers, and sinful children. I, honest to goodness, don't feel like somebody, I don't remember who it says, somebody said, Happy Father's Day, especially to you. Like, I know what they mean. I get it. But my response before I could even think about what I was saying was, I feel like I'm making a mess of it. It's the truth. And so constantly remind yourself, if you're a Christian parent this morning, remind yourself, your kids' ultimate hope is Jesus Christ. Not you. Be diligent. But don't try to be their savior. Don't confuse yourself into thinking that you're actually going to be the reason they're saved. If your kids are saved, you might be a tool God uses. You may not be. If your kids are like my kids, they're going to listen to everybody else and come home and tell you about this wonderful thing somebody told them. And I'm like, telling you that for years. Beg the Holy Spirit to do in your kids what only He can do. Faithfully point them to Jesus Christ. Repent when necessary. Pray often. And beg for the Lord's help. Let's pray. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.